Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Great reminder about uh, Christmas shoeboxes, and I know Billy gave you some of the other details. You know, one of the things that occurred to me about shoebox Christmas is, you know, during this COVID time, there's just so much that we can't seem to get, do as far as reaching out to the community and those types of things. But this is an opportunity that we can do. And I hope you'll keep that in mind. Uh, there's a limited number of boxes and stuff here and there in the church. If you don't get one of those, you can get your own shoe box or buy one of those Tupperware boxes or whatever. But this is a great opportunity, even during this COVID time, to be able to still reach out and minister to other people and make a difference in our world. So we're in this series called Friendship or Friends. And we've been talking, kind of our theme of this is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me the people that you hang out with and I'll show you what your future is going to look like. If you hang out with people that are positive, people that are faith filled, people that are passionate, you're going to be like that. You're going to be passionate and faith filled and positive. If you hang out with people that are negative and critical and have bad attitudes, guess what? You're probably going to be like that too critical and negative and have a bad attitude. And our theme verse for this whole thing, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, has been Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Remember that verse? Walk with the wise, and what's it say next? And become wise. For a companion of fools, the flip side of this, suffers harm. So that's been what we've been talking about so far. Last week, we kind of added on to that a little bit. And we said, you may be one friend away from changing your destiny. And we talked about David and Jonathan in Scripture. And we talked about Paul and Barnabas in Scripture. I want to add another statement. And this is our theme for this morning. You may be one community away from changing your future. One community away from changing your future. You know, there's a word that we use in, in, in church circles sometimes, and it's, we're going to be kind of looking at that word in our text here in a little bit, but it's the word fellowship. Now, we think about the word fellowship, and I think sometimes in church circles, we kind of get it wrong what that word fellowship means. I mean, sometimes you see a couple guys, they're, you know, after church or before church, and they're just kind of talking together. You know, they're, you know, just chit-chatting about sports or whatever, you know, like how many points are the Falcons going to lose by today, that kind of thing. I can say that because I'm a Cowboys fan, and, but we did beat you guys, so just remember that. But anyway, you just hear them talking about sports, or they're talking about the weather or whatever, and then one of them will say to the other, good fellowshipping with you. Yeah, you too. That's not fellowshipping. That's just shooting the bull, okay? That's what that is. Sometimes we think about fellowship and we say things in church circles like, well, we're going to have a fellowship after church. You know, there's going to be fried chicken and, and the ladies in our church, you know, they cook great. There's going to be all kinds of food and desserts and stuff. Come to the fellowship. Well, that's not a fellowship really either. That's just eating. I mean, we call it a fellowship, but that's not really the right use of the term. The Greek word is literally koinia. And this is what the word means. It means mutual personal investment of members one with another. It means being involved in each other's lives. Really involved, not on a surface level, 
but invested in each other's lives. That's what that word fellowship really means. There's a book out called Up With Worship. It's written by Anne Ortland, And she writes this illustration, which this morning I'm going to show you that illustration because obviously I'm not writing. I'm up here in front of you. And she talks about that word fellowship, and she talks about what it means to be invested in each other. And she said sometimes churches or Christian communities, they're like a bag of marbles, okay? There's actually a dice in here. It's Renee's. I tell her not to let her her vices be known, but apparently she didn't uh, catch that memo. But anyway, so these marbles, except for the dice, represent Christians, right? Okay? And... Here's the thing about marbles. They make noise, right? And they kind of bang up against each other. But they're not going to change each other, are they? Marbles don't do that. They might maybe scratch each other a little bit. But mostly they're just going to make noise, bump against each other and that kind of thing. She said some Christian communities are like that. They make noise and they bump up against each other. But there's there's nobody making any real difference. It's, it's, It's just kicking around, so to speak. Then she says this. She said, a real Christian community should be like grapes. Okay, see these grapes? And they'll get even more that way if I was just to leave them for a while. They probably wouldn't smell very good. But see how they're they're just oozing into each other? And they're just bleeding together? That's what we're talking about. A real Christian community, true fellowship, is when we're bleeding into each other, so to speak. We're invested in each other. We're all mixed in. That's what fellowship looks like. That's the kind of Christian community that we all need to be involved in. A Christian community like these grapes where people are invested in each other and they live life together. And that's why I say you could be one community away from changing your future. You know, we say this a lot in Christian circles. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is absolutely true. You do need a personal relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't need to stop there. You also need relationships with other believers. You need a community of believers that you are involved with, that you're sharing life with, Scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It's it's absolutely necessary that you have that personal relationship, but it doesn't stop there. You need to experience life with other believers in the context of a deeper, broader Christian community. But you know what? A lot of people don't have that. We have lots of external blessings, but a lot of people don't have that that small group, that, that Christian community that they can be involved with. Why is that? I think there are a number of different reasons. I'm just gonna share some of those reasons with you today. The first one is this. I think we don't have those, people aren't involved in those kind of Christian communities because of increased mobility. We just live in a society where people are moving all the time. They say the average person in the United States moves every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, it comes down to every three years. So if we're always moving, it's hard to build those deep 
relationships. So that's one. The second one is modern conveniences. Have you ever thought about how modern conveniences have changed relationships? For instance, let's think about this one. How about air conditioning? Think about how air conditioning has changed relationships. And here's why I say this. If you've ever noticed, older homes have always have a porch on them, don't they? And what people used to do, especially in the South, especially in the summertime, it, it's hot, you don't have air conditioning, so where do you go in the evenings? You went out on your porch because it was cooler outside on your porch in the shade than it was in your house. And so that's what people used to do. And when you go out on your porch and your neighbor's out on his porch and that neighbor and that person across the street, everybody's out on their porch, what happens? Well, people start waving at each other. People start crossing the street to talk to their neighbor, going next door, sitting on the porch together. And relationships were built. But not now. Everybody stays inside. Air conditioning has made us indoor hermits. Or how about this modern convenience? The attached garage and garage door openers. Now, back in the day, if you had a garage, it was detached, which meant you pulled into it, you pulled the garage door down, and then you had to walk to your house. The neighbor's outside, you might wave at them, you might come over to the fence and chit-chat for a little while. We don't do that anymore. And you start pulling up in your driveway, you hit the garage door opener, whoop, up goes the door to your bat cave, you pull right on in, door goes down. You don't have to say hi to anybody. You don't even have to wave at anybody. Just pull in your bat cave and you're done. So that's another example. Now here's a crazy one. There are those of you in this room, they're gonna be absolutely shocked when I tell you this. There used to be a day when you actually had to answer your phone to know who was calling you. It's true. How many of you remember that day? Like, yeah, you actually had to answer it. And then what, you know, the answer machine came along. And then what happened? So like the early answer machines, the way they work, for those of you who don't know, like your phone would ring and it would pick up. You know, you'd have some kind of, hello, this is Dennis, leave a message, whatever. And you, you, you could press a button and you could hear them and they would say something like, hey, Dennis, this is Bob, I was calling about. And you'd be like, I don't want to talk to Bob. And you just hang up on him. You didn't have to. Of course, we don't have to today either with cell phones and all those kind of things. But there was a day when you actually had to answer the phone to know who was calling. And again, it, modern conveniences have changed relationships. How about this? All the individual forms of entertainment that we have, that you don't have to talk and interact with people. You got your games on your phones, you got your Nintendos, you got your iPads. You got all these different things that you can entertain yourself with. Xbox, all those types of things. And you don't have to talk to anybody. Plus, kids stay inside. Back in the day, again, those of you who remember this, man, you went outside all the time. Like you got up in the morning and you couldn't wait to get out the door before your mom would give you a bunch of chores, right? She got, got you before you got outside, then you had to do the chores, and then you could go outside. And you just hung out with your friends all day long, and you played football or whatever you do, and ride your bikes all over creation. Mom called you home for supper, and after supper you wanted to go back out. No, it's too dark. That's what we did. Everybody played outside. You had all these friends. Now what happens? People don't play outside anymore. I live in a subdivision with lots and lots of kids. I live in the back of the subdivision. 
So I have to drive through a good portion of the subdivision to get to my house. There's a couple neighborhood boys that live a couple houses down from me. They are always outside. Good for them. Soccer balls and footballs and baseball, they're all into sports. Good for them. I go by some other church families in our church. I see their kids outside a lot. And that's about it. People don't play outside anymore. Everybody's inside. Modern conveniences. They've just challenged relationships. And there's not as much social interaction. Here's the third one. Social media. Nothing wrong with social media. As a church, we're working on even leveraging social media more. There are great benefits to social media. But it also cuts down on relationships and social interaction. One author put it this way. I love this statement. Social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. Social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. What does that mean? Here's what he's saying. If you're home by yourself, you're feeling lonely, you're bored, whatever, you can post a picture, you can take a selfie. In a few minutes, somebody's going to like it and, you know, be like, yeah, and it kind of cheers you up a little bit. But you know it's just for a second that anybody scrolling down a page can hit a couple likes as they're going through a through, and you realize that there's no real relationship there. And so all you've done is just kind of deferred the loneliness. Because deep down, you, you know there's something else there. I mean, there are people with 400 Facebook friends, and yet they don't have a single person that they can call up when something's tough in their life, when they just need to share their heart with somebody. I think we all have that feeling sometimes, especially if you're heavily involved in social media, that there's something missing here. There's something not right. There, there, there's just something that's wrong. It's not as it should be. And we decided last week, well, maybe that's because there's someone missing in your life. But what if it's not just someone? What if it's a group of someones? That's probably not good English, but anyway, forgive me. But what if it's a whole group of people that you're missing? You see that committed Christian community? You might be one group of strong Christian committed believers to doing life with them where you share the highs and lows of life. Where you have that group of people that will lift you up, that group of people that will pray with you, that group of people who will have your back, that group of people who will encourage you. You might be one community away from changing your family's future. You might be one generation from, from or, or one, commit, one group of committed believers from totally changing the world. Have you ever thought about that? Just because of one group of committed believers. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to go over into the book of Acts. And we're going to look at probably the most powerful committed community that Scripture mentions. All the verses will be here on the screen. Obviously, you can look in your phone or in your Bible too. We're just going to kind of look in the book of Acts. We're going to start in verse 42 with this, this group here of committed believers. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So here's the first thing we have to decide. Who's the they? Who are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about primarily new believers. We're not talking necessarily about the disciples anymore. We're talking about these new believers 
They've accepted Christ. They've come together on what's called the day of Pentecost. And what, are, what is it they're doing? They're devoted. What does it mean to be devoted? It means there's no half-heartedness about this. They are all in. What is it they're devoted to? Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. They are committed to Jesus. Listen to this. What is their community built around? Jesus. It's not built around the ball field. It's not built around a hobby. It's not built around a neighborhood association. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But this group of believers, this community is built around Jesus Christ. It is centered on Jesus Christ. Notice verses 43 through 44. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And you want to see love demonstrated? Look at the next verse. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now this is not talking about they lived in a compound and everything was community property and nobody had any individual possessions. What this verse means is, we're a family. And family watches out for each other. And family takes care of family. That's what they were doing in the New Testament. That's what this Christian community was doing. Do you know one of the things that I am most proud of about being the pastor of Burning Bush Baptist Church? The way the family looks out for other parts of the family, other members of the family. Our church does a great job of that. We could be better, but we do a great job of that. I have seen it happen over and over and over. Someone has a financial difficulty, someone steps up and takes care of it. Someone needs to take a trip to the doctor, somebody says, I'll take them to the doctor. Somebody says, you know, maybe it gets out through the grapevine that somebody can't afford to send their kids on a, on, a, on a youth trip or a missions trip or children's camp or ski trips or whatever it is. I have people come to me all the time when these kind of things are coming up and they'll say, hey, if anybody needs some help, pastor, I'll make sure that child gets to go. All the time people tell me that. I've seen over and over our family put this verse into practice. Live out that verse. In fact, do you remember the values of our church? We can pop that slide up there. Be transferred, be engaged, be generous, and our mission statement is connecting people to Jesus and each other. And these are the three parts of that. Be generous with your time and with your giving. I see that all the time. I just see that generosity put into practice as people give and people give sacrificially and needs are met. We live out that verse that I was just talking about. Let's go on to verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So that's kind of where they had church at, in the temple courts, okay? Then it says, they broke bread in their homes. So this is the smaller part of that community, okay? They met in homes. And that's what we do with small groups and home groups and and Sunday schools. We're meeting in those smaller groups. Because in a church this size, you can come every week. But you won't be part of that little Christian community that we're talking about today. You can slip in, slip out, that kind of thing. And we're glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. But everybody needs to be involved in that smaller Christian community. And they ate together, were glad, and had sincere 
hearts. Here's what I want you to understand about this. This, what we've been talking about in these six or seven verses, what happens in our church, family, it doesn't happen by accident. You have to make a commitment to it. You have to decide to get involved. And you create a community like that based on the love of Jesus Christ. And it's intentional as believers come together. So here's what I want to do. We'll look at some more scriptures here in a moment. I want to mention three qualities that make a great Christian community. The first one is this. A great Christian community, when you're part of a great Christian community, you have refrigerator rights. I love that term. I have a friend named Brandy Frazee. That was the first person I ever heard use that term. I don't know if it's original to him or not, but I love that term. You have refrigerator rights. Means you can go, you're in somebody's house and you're so comfortable with them and you have such a relationship with them. You don't have to ask. You can just go to their refrigerator and get whatever you want. You know, let me, let me try to give some examples of this. I'm involved with a home group. I think our group's been together three or four years. When somebody comes to my house, and it's true in almost all the people and all the groups, nobody knocks on anybody's front door when they get there. They just go in the house. It's kind of refrigerator rights. Nobody has to ask in most of the houses, can I get something out of the refrigerator? Can I get some ice or whatever? You don't have to ask. You just know that you can. Now, some people do ask because we all grew up in the South and everybody's very polite, right? So, so we, we do that. Some people do that. But the basic idea is what I have is yours. Help yourself. But think about how weird it would be if that wasn't the case. It'd look a lot different, wouldn't it? Like this is how it usually happens with people you don't know well, right? They knock on your door. You invite them in. Where do you go? Go to the living room, right? You don't go to the kitchen. Kitchen is kind of more intimate and family-oriented, right? Well, you go to the kitchen and you talk. But when you have refrigerator, I mean, you go to the living room. But when you have refrigerator rights, man, a lot of times you're in the kitchen talking. You know, when my, uh, my children were teenagers, all, our, all their friends had refrigerator rights. And boy, did they know it, too. <laughs> did y'all know that teenage boys can eat a lot? <laughs> Some teenage girls would carry right with them but anyway we wanted them to have refrigerator rights and they would come over maybe they're all you know playing a game or something and they'd walk into the kitchen and uh none of my kids would even be with them It'd just be one of them and they'd be like hey mr mcnulty and they just go over the refrigerator and get whatever they want that was cool that was fine we wanted them to do that my wife would make pies and cookies and and cakes and uh, I mean, and, you know, that was just fine. It was great. We, like I said, we wanted them to, to do those types of things. Uh, sometimes I'd be like, uh, they'd all be playing Nintendo or whatever, and I'd be like, uh, hey, I'm going to order some pizzas. You guys want some pizzas? And yeah, 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 yeah. So like, how many pizzas do you want? And, you know, like my son would look, and he'd go, one, two, three, plus me, four large pizzas. <laughs> yeah, four large pizzas, and there would be nothing left over. Like, like yeah, they could eat. Am I right, Clay? Clay used to come over to my house. He was one of Austin's best friends. And uh, just, just demolish it. But that's okay. That's refrigerator rights, right? But how strange would it be if, if you and I didn't have refrigerator rights? And like I go to your house and I come in and the first thing I do instead of sitting in a sofa or something, I go over and plop myself up on your countertop, Right? Then we're sitting there talking, and then all at once I jump down and say, excuse me a minute, and I go over to your refrigerator, and I start making me a sandwich, grab me a piece of fruit, grab me a Dr. Pepper, 
Then I come back over, gonna pop myself back up on the counter again. I notice you're giving me this really weird look. I'm like, oh, excuse me, did you want something? Oh, but it'd be weird, right? Like, like you probably wouldn't say anything to me, but you know what would happen? Like when you were around your friends, it'd be like, man, Pastor Dennis is a weirdo. You know what he did the other day? Like he came in my house without even asking me. He made a sandwich and got a Dr. Pepper. That guy's strange. But when you have refrigerator rights, it's not like that. Why? Because when you have refrigerator rights, and this is the point of all this, you have intimacy and trust and a depth of relationship that you can do those kinds of things. Your family. This has everything to do with Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We have, that's what you want. Now let me ask you a question. How many people in your life do you have refrigerator rights with? How many people can you live this verse with? Because I'm saying if you only have maybe two or three people outside your family, then you're probably relationally challenged in the sense of having this kind of community and you don't have nearly as many as God wants you to have. And also, let me say this. If this whole concept of refrigerator rights makes you uncomfortable, just remember that we need to hold our possessions loosely, that that's what the Scripture tells us, just a suggestion. God wants a personal relationship with us, but He also wants us to have that relationship in a broader community. You know, one of the tough things about ministry is people, right? And that's true for anybody, right? Tough thing about life sometimes is just people and relationships. And, um, you know, back when, just talk about this refrigerator right kind of thing. When I was in seminary, cutting my teeth in ministry, refrigerator rights were for other people in the church, not the pastor. You were, you were kind of taught, keep your distance from the congregation. Don't ever let your friends, your good friends, be people in the congregation. You need to kind of keep yourself separate. That way you can pour into them and, and you don't have to worry about getting close to them. That was kind of the prevailing thought back then. It was kind of called, I called it the pastor's mystique. You know, you, you, you're supposed to be the man of God and you're supposed to pour into them kind of idea. Well, let me tell you. Renee and I knew from the get-go that wasn't going to be us. We weren't that kind of, 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 of people. We weren't going to guard the pastor's mystique. Because I truly believe that the church is built on Jesus and on relationships. And guess what else? It wouldn't have worked anyway. Because Renee and I are normal people with a normal marriage, with normal kids that do crazy things sometimes. That was a nice word for it, wasn't it? <laughs> I have one son back there, and he's like, stop, Dad, stop. But we're just normal. We have a normal marriage. We have normal problems. It was never going to be Reverend Dennis McNulty or the Reverend McNulty or Brother Dennis or anything else. Dennis and Renee. I'm just a normal guy. She's just a normal person too. I am called to be pastor. And with that calling, there are incredible responsibilities. But I'm just a, a plain, ordinary guy like everybody else. Just, just same things that you guys go through. I go through. Our marriages go through. 
etc. By the way, October was a pastor appreciation month, and I appreciate so much the cards and uh, letters and gifts and those types of things. Thank you very much for that. But I want to mention something this morning. My wife is the one that really needs to be appreciated. She is the one who just kind of stands back in the shadows. And she prays for you. She prays for me. She loves on you guys. She makes ministry possible for me. And I just appreciate so much what she does. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes she gets hurt really deeply by things people say about her family or her husband. But she just keeps praying. Keeps loving on people. I appreciate that very much about her. She's not here. I'm assuming she's watching online. Thank you very much, Renee. And when I say that, I think I speak for all the spouses or the staff members' spouses here. Every one of the the, the spouses kind of goes through these types of things. And I I hope you appreciate what they do behind the scenes because they're not really in the spotlight nearly as much as the staff is. But they do some incredible things and, and put up with some incredible things. And so Renee and I, we're going to continue to open up our home and we're going to take risks and we're going to love on people and we're going to be loved. And sometimes we'll be hurt and sometimes we're going to disappoint people. But the risk of not having that is far greater than the risk of having it. And we must have that because that is how God created us. We have refrigerator rights. We all need to have that kind of Christian community. Second thing is this. We accept each other's flaws. You know, we all have blemishes, sins that we struggle with. Every single one of us. But in the Christian community that's doing things right, we accept each other just the way we are. Romans chapter 5 verse 7 puts it this way. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we're to accept each other. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus accepted us, didn't he? And when we do that, when we accept each other, flaws at all, we bring praise to God. We glorify God when we do that. And folks, you know, we all have different struggles. Some people have struggles in their marriage, and and we need to be for each other and encourage each other and pray for each other and be there during those types of struggles. Sometimes people have challenges with kids. And you know what we don't do? Oh, your kid's a thug. We're just, we're just not going to even worry about him anymore. No, we don't do that as a church. We rally together. And we support that child. And we all pray and we all see how we can assist and, and how we can help. And I'll be honest with you. Because people are people, right? I said that a while ago. Sometimes in church, people get sideways with each other, right? I mean, maybe a fellow musician, you know, they're kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. Maybe it's somebody in the group that you serve with, um, some team somewhere, and, and, and you're, you know, chafing on each other. Maybe it's somebody in your small group that you're just kind of at odds with each other. Hey, this is a spiritual principle. If you get two or more ladies together, don't look at me like that doesn't happen. Like it happens, right? It happens with men too. But I mean, those things happen. But you know, when that happens... We're all flawed, and we need to accept each other, and we need to work those things out. And I wish we could say that we did that 100% of the time. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's what needs to happen. 
you know, it, we should never have that. Well, bless God, if Christians are going to act like that way, I'm leaving that church. None of them are Christian, especially the pastor. He leads that whole joint. It should never be like that. We should try to work through things. When we are wrong, we should own it and we should apologize. And when we are wronged, we should exercise forgiveness. And we should forgive and work through it. That's what we're supposed to do. Christ accepted us. We all have flaws. Do you remember over in the Old Testament, the character Mephibosheth? Maybe you studied him in Sunday school sometime. Mephibosheth was a, was a cripple. Now understand, in ancient times, if you had some kind of birth defect, you were lame, cripple, or whatever it was, there were no programs. If your parents did not take care of you, you were in trouble. Or if your parents passed away, the best you could hope for was to be a beggar, and probably you were gonna have a pretty short life expectancy. It's just the way it was in ancient times. Mephibosheth was a cripple. But because of a previous relationship, this is what happened. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. See, the king sent for him because of a previous relationship. And so he was allowed to eat at the king's table. He was a cripple in both feet, scripture tells us. Society rejected him, but yet he could eat at the king's table. Folks, all of us are cripples in a sense. We all have flaws. But we get to eat at the table of the king of kings because he accepts us. He accepts us the way we are. So we have refrigerator rights. We accept each other, flaws and all. Third is this, characteristic of a great Christian community, is we fight lions. It means we all come together and we stay together. I'll explain. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So don't miss this connection between Satan and the cat, the lion. Don't miss that. Satan is always running around just like a lion. And he's seeking to devour. He's seeking to destroy your family. He's seeking to destroy your marriage. He's seeking to destroy the church. Anything that matters to the heart of God, Satan wants to do away with and destroy. Now here's what I want to do. I want to show you a video clip that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about of how we should stand together as Christians. This clip is about water buffaloes. And we kind of had to edit this clip because it's like eight minutes long. That'd be a little long. So I edited this clip down. But I want you to notice how the water buffaloes stick together. You can find this on YouTube, by the way. It took place in a park over in Africa. Uh, I think it's called Kruger Park. But anyway, if you could run that video for me. There's no sound to it. I'm going to edit it. So you got a water buffalo out for a walk. Uh-oh, lions, they're crouching. That's what lions do right before they attack, right? So you can see this group of pride of lions here. They're getting ready. Uh-oh, water buffalo, run, run for us, run. So they're tearing after the water buffalo. Oh, he's too big, we'll let him go. Let's go for the little one. Boom, we got it, into the water we go. And then you'll notice that all the lions are onto this calf, but wait, here comes the cavalry. 
Look at them, all of them. By the way, the calf survives, so don't, don't panic. Okay, get out of here, you pussycat. Yeah, I said, get out of here. Go, 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 go. And what does Satan do? He goes after the little ones. He'll try to destroy your family. Oh, boy, that didn't feel too good. Get out of here, I told you. Run, get. Here they go, more of them. There's even more. So they keep coming in. Like I said, the calf's going to be okay. You can see this calf struggling. Watch them. They keep getting closer and closer. Not just the parents, everybody, right? They're all coming in. Look, you kitty cats. We said, get out of here. You better get out. You can see the calf struggling there. There they go. Keeps going, keeps going. Calf's okay. They got the calf back, but they're not done with the line. Yep, you better get out of here. Don't mess with us. Get, go on. Yep, I told you, get out of here. Runs them off. And eventually run off every single one of them. If water buffalo can stick together like that, can't we as Christians do that? If water buffalo can do that, like I said, it wasn't just the parents that came to save that calf. It was the entire water buffalo community. Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. And Satan is serious about it. That little buffalo lived to fight another day, eat another day, whatever you want to call it. Just like those water buffalo, when Satan comes to attack, we need to have each other's back. We need to be at each other's sides. We need to stand next to each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to make sure that nobody goes down without the support of other people. We need to make sure that people don't fight cancer by themselves. When people are struggling financially, they don't need to do it by themselves. When somebody has a kid that's kind of wandering off the path the wrong direction, we need to make sure we're there for them. When somebody's marriage is struggling, we need to make sure that we are there for them. When you are going through those types of situations, what you want is the strength of the body of Christ standing beside you, loving you, praying for you, encouraging you, fighting with you. If that little calf had been by itself, this story would have ended differently, right? It's extremely vulnerable by itself. But when it was surrounded by everybody else, lived another day. Some of you are vulnerable right now. You are one community away from changing your future. And when you have that, it's rich and it's satisfying and it's encouraging and it's meaningful. And even the world looks and goes, wow, there is something different about that group of people over there. You are one community away from changing your future. But you have to make a choice to be involved in it. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to make a choice. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. and Father, I just want to pray this morning. I don't know where everybody is this morning. I have no idea. I'm sure we have folks here this morning that... And they have lots of acquaintances, but not any really close friends. And Father, I know we have people here that we're glad they're here, but they just kind of come and leave. And Father, I just pray that they see the need for a deeper commitment in a Christian community. And Father, I pray for all of us during this COVID time when it's just so hard to, to interact with people and, and 
build those relationships, Father, that you'll just show us avenues of doing that. And Father, help us to pick up the phones and things that we can do to stay in touch with each other. And Father, I just pray now as we have this time of commitment that you'll just move in each person's life today. That we'll all just ask the question, Father, because of your word, what is it you would have me to do? Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.